Hi everybody, this is Lee. I'm here with Bob and Jerry. We are One New Man Ministries, a ministry of reconciliation and Ephesians 2 ministry. So we are Messianic Jews and Messianic Gentiles, believers in Yeshua HaMashiach, that's Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And as Ephesians 2 says, 11 through 14 so then remember that at one time you gentiles by birth called the uncircumcision by those who are called the circumcision a physical circumcision made in the flesh by human hands remember that you were at that time without christ being aliens from the commonwealth of israel and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without god in the world but now in Christ Jesus, at Yeshua HaMashiach, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace and his flesh. He has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall, that is the hostility between us. So today we're going to get to talk a little bit about the covenant of Abraham and the circumcision and then look at it from uh, Paul's point of view in Romans 4. And uh, so what are we going to talk about today, Jerry? First, want to say good morning to everybody, uh, you guys here in the studio, and to all our listening audience. Welcome in the name of Yeshua. Our Torah portion is from Genesis 12 through Genesis 17, and it is the story of God's call of Abraham uh, and the events that uh, took place between that first call and then uh, next week's Torah portion uh, picks up the story uh, of how Isaac is, is born. And so for the time between uh, his first call and then when uh, Isaac will, f will come along a little bit later. Uh, there's a number of events that uh, are recorded in here, but we want to take the time really to focus on three passages that highlight God's covenant with Abraham. And we want to take a few minutes to look at what uh, the foundation of that was. And then as new covenant followers of Yeshua, Jesus, we want to take the covenant teaching from the Old Testament and see how Paul uses it to make his case for the inclusion of all nations, the Gentiles, along with the Jewish people, in salvation through grace, through faith. So if we can uh, begin then in uh, Genesis chapter 12, the previous chapter was all about the generations of people who came after Noah and then specifically Shem's descendants. And when we follow Shem's descendants, remember Shem was the son of Noah, uh, that it is through Shem then we arrive at a fellow named Terah. And Terah is the father of Abram. And keep in mind that when we first meet this man, which we know today as Abraham, his name was Abram, or in Hebrew it might have been pronounced Avram. And Avram means exalted father. So we first meet Avram, the son of Terah, uh, in, in uh, chapter 12 then, when uh, Hashem, the Lord, speaks to him and says, Go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So these are the foundational words that Yahweh gave to Avram, Abram. And notice uh, from the very beginning that it is a blessing connected to a land that in previous chapters of Genesis, God has been doling out land to all of these nations. These went here, these went there. And now this is the land that I've designated for you. And when you go to the land, I will make you a great nation. Okay, so the 
promises that are made to Avram are connected very strongly to the land. And what he says to Avram is, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you there and make your name great. And I think that's an allusion to a point in the future of this story when God is going to change Avram's name to Avraham, uh, which means father of a multitude, which we need to take note at this point of the story. Abram is 75 years old and he has no children. So there's something kind of ironic about being named a great father and you're not even a father at this point, uh, let alone becoming a father of a multitude. But I think that that's what uh, is, is being alluded to here. Uh, and I will make your name great, but it's for a purpose. Notice the purpose of God in elevating Avram is not for Avram's sake, but he says, so that you will be a blessing what is the blessing? We have to uh, take what we know and read back into it, but we know the blessing is the knowledge of the one true God. This is Abram's gift to his world. He keeps alive what Noah knew. He keeps alive what Noah passed on to Shem. And he keeps alive for his progeny, for uh, his offspring, the knowledge of the one true God. And that through the knowledge of the one true God, the world will be blessed. So I will bless those who bless you because an assault against Avram is an assault against the knowledge of the truth. And a blessing on Avram is a blessing on knowing the truth. I, I, I did that backwards, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, him who dishonors you, I will curse. So those who speak against the knowledge of the one true God are going to receive the curse. And here is the, the word to Avram that is still ringing out in our time today. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram, Abram, Avram, uh, receives this great promise from God. And we see throughout history then the condition of nations in relation to their treatment of Jewish people. Uh, if we think about some of the history, we understand we had the Babylonian Empire that overtook Israel. We have the Assyrians, the Greeks, the Romans. As far as great nations and empires, they all had their day. Mistreating the Jews along the way. We look at uh, what happened to Spain, which was a great world power in the 1400s, and then they expelled the Jews in, I think it was 1492, and they fell off the world stage, replaced by England. And so there's a, a, a history of, of this word coming true that those who bless Abram's children receive the blessing. Those who turn their backs on them uh, will suffer consequences. And of course, in our modern times, the most uh, dramatic example of that is what happened to, to Germany as a result of the Holocaust. So all of that is laid out in these words. And we want to make it very clear that from the beginning, land is an essential part of this covenant. So between chapter 12 and chapter 15, which is the next point at which we, we, we get covenant speaking again, uh, Abram has uh, gone down to Egypt. Uh, he's lied about his wife. Uh, there's a little bit of a uh, foreshadowing in Abram's uh, experience there of what's going to happen to uh, his, his children when they're taken slaves in Egypt. It says that... Uh, uh, the Lord afflicted Pharaoh for taking Sarah into his house and that uh, Pharaoh finally sent Abram away, but with great blessing because he had given uh, Abram, uh, it says he gave him sheep, oxen, donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. And at the end of that, Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. And so we know that later on under Moses, they're finally going to, after much affliction from God, they're finally going to force 
the Jews out of the land and they are going to exit with great uh, Egyptian wealth. So a little bit of a, of a foreshadowing there. Uh, then the story of uh, Abram and Lot and how they uh, separated their, uh, their sheep from one another. They went different directions. And then the story of the wars of the kings and how Abram goes out to rescue Lot. And we need to understand that Abram has, has defeated some great armies with a pretty small number of men. Uh, it's, it's similar in a way to what's going to happen with, with Gideon uh, and how God got him down to 300 fighting men against 100,000 Moabites, right? And so the same thing happens here. And what's interesting then is, is Abram really has won this extraordinary, miraculous battle in defeating those kings. He has this really spiritual moment with this mysterious Melchizedek guy. And then chapter 15, which, which comes back to the covenant issues, opens with these words. After these things, after, after this great victory, after Abram met Melchizedek and all, all, all of the offerings and spiritual things that took place in that, the word of Hashem, the Lord, came to Abram in a vision, fear not. Now, isn't that interesting? Why, why is Abram in a position where he would be fearful? He's just come off this great physical high of, of, of beating a much bigger army. He's come off this spiritual high of meeting this, this mysterious priest king and making a sacrifice and giving tithes to him. We need to consider that even in spite of that, uh, there is just at a human level maybe a... a, a emotional letdown, you know, you come off the adrenaline high, but also the possibility that uh, Abraham could be attacked again by these larger armies. And so God says to him, don't fear, I am your shield. That's a, 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 an appropriate picture here for somebody who's afraid of some kind of military retaliation, I think. I'm your shield. I'm your protector. Your reward shall be very great. So here's a, maybe an allusion to, I just gave up all this material wealth. <laughs> and God says, don't worry, I've got you. I've got you. So then the conversation between the Lord and Abram follows along. Abram, looking at his, his situation, there's just me, I have no heir. But according to uh, ancient Near East custom, uh, this person in my household who's been my steward, my right-hand man, even though he's not my physical uh, child, he's still in line, according to custom, to take over my estate. And God says, no, this Eliezer, this uh, person from Damascus, uh, he is not going to be your heir. Verse 4, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. Abram's looking around. What son, right? And the Lord brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then the Lord said to Avram, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. This verse is one of the key verses in all of Scripture. That in spite of every physical piece of evidence, Abram had enough trust in God that when God told him that he would have offspring, his own child, the word here is seed, that his seed would, like, like seeds that you plant in the ground, that it would grow up and that they would be as numerous as the stars in heaven, that he had enough trust in God to say, yes, I believe that. I'm following you. I'm with you. And that faith, that exhibition of trust is what God says is counted as righteousness. And we want to say that righteousness, it means to have a right standing with God. It means that in spite of the sins that we commit, we are covered by God's grace because of our trust in him. And we'll talk about why uh, uh, when we get to Romans chapter 4. But I want to make the point here then 
that God is now establishing the broader terms of the covenant with him. Bob, it looked like you yes, wanted um, to throw something in there. I do. Uh, when you just you just termed um, righteousness, uh, I, I had it on the uh, on my <clears throat> Hebrew translation. It's the act of doing what is in agreement with God's standards, being in the proper relationship with God. And, you know, you see this not only with Abraham, but you see almost the same words you do with Noah that we talked about last week. Mm-hmm. You know, that's something about the righteousness gets God's attention and the blessings follow. Right. Right. And so there's the the uh, narrative lays out how uh, Abraham prepared the uh, animals in order to make a covenant which in those days they would split animals in two and the parties to the covenant would walk between signifying uh, may what happened to these animals happen to me if I don't keep my end of the covenant. And while Abram prepared the animals to be uh, walked through, uh, Abraham himself does not walk through, but the covenant is made and kept by God. It says that Abram was put into a deep sleep And in verse 17 of chapter 15, it says, When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. These are symbols of the presence of the Lord. Passed between the pieces, and on that day, Adonai, Hashem, made a covenant with Abram. And he said, To your offspring I give this land. And so there is the the promise of the land. And when we read about Abram, we, we read about how he was a sojourner, he was a stranger in his own land, but he believed God that it was coming to him through his offspring. I give this land from the river of Egypt, that is the Nile, to the great river Euphrates. So pretty broad piece of land. We know that uh, under Joshua, they settled a much smaller piece of that. Uh, under David uh, and Solomon, that uh smaller sliver of land was expanded outward to the east and encompassed uh, a good portion, but never all the way to the Euphrates River. We find today that people are still fighting over the land. And of course, we believe as biblical people, part of it is because of the spiritual warfare that's going on, that Satan would love to destroy Israel and drive them off their land and disprove everything that God has promised. If he can overthrow Jews, if he can overthrow Israel, then he can overthrow the word of God. And we know, of course, that that's not going to happen. But the consequences of that spiritual warfare is what we're watching right now. So the third point of this covenant making and uh, establishment uh, comes to us in chapter 17. But between 15 and 17... Uh, Sarah and Abram decide to take matters into their own hands. And the result is that Abram does have a son. His name is Ishmael. But when we get to chapter 17, it says that when Abram was 99, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. And that name there is El Shaddai. And Shaddai is from a word that suggests sufficiency, all sufficiency, that God is able to provide all that Abram needs. I am the God, all sufficient one, is El Shaddai. And he says, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. So at this point, uh, Abram falls on his face and God says, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. You will no longer be exalted father, but you will be Avram, but you will now be Abraham, father of a multitude. And again, we're still dealing with this weird setup that now he has Ishmael, but it's not, he is not the son of promise. He's not the son that God intended. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I'll make you into nations and kings shall come from you. I'll establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be to you, the God to you and to your offspring. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of of your sojourning, the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So there's this intimate connection that God is making now between the land and 
being their God. This is the promise that God is making. I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which, I, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Okay, so the terms of the covenant uh, at this point are simply circumcision. This is what Paul's going to be making a big point about when we get to Romans chapter 4. Bob, it looks like you want to yeah, jump in um, here. We've co- Obviously, there's so much here. It's so much. It's um, when, he, when Abraham says, I will be their God to your descendants, that's an unconditional covenant. You know, mm-hmm. they, I will be their God regardless. And what, what is God's heart towards us? Hey, I'm always here, you know. Whereas we, as as uh, as believers, we we we're 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 drifty sometimes, and but God is always stationary, waiting for us and and encouraging us to to live a righteous life. So, and the second thing I want to bring out is um, on Genesis eighteen nineteen, God's speaking of Abraham says, "I have chosen him so that he will command his children and his household to keep." The way of the Lord by doing what is right and good, and that to me, um, this he, re, one of the main reasons he chose Abraham so that he would teach his children and the children after him about God's ways, mm-hmm. God in His ways. And I just think it still it still applies today. We're just one generation away from the knowledge of God. Right. When God makes this great promise to Abraham in chapter 17, it says that uh, after explaining about circumcision uh, and the importance of circumcision, this is the sign of my covenant with you. God said to Abraham in verse 15, as for Sarai, your wife, you will now call her not Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her. She shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. And Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, No, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. Wow. Okay. So... But God said, you, you thought that you were going to satisfy my covenant by going and doing a workaround, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? By going through Hagar and know the child of promise is going to be through Sarah. And it's a promise. And it's, uh, as Paul will make clear in, in Galatians, to show that it was all God because both Abraham and Sarah were dead in the flesh, so to speak. And Sarah will laugh later on. It's interesting that Isaac is the Hebrew word for laughter. (laughs) And so what we see highlighted here in these three sections is the the word of blessing that uh, especially at the end, all families of the nation, all, all nations of the world will be blessed through you. The second part that I am your shield and your great reward and I establish my covenant with you over this land. And then this third part, my covenant is established with you through the child of promise. Not Ishmael, but Isaac. So I think those are the three keys that we need to bring out. Maybe I missed some. So uh, but before um, we switch over to Romans chapter 4, let's... So <clears throat> I'd like to point out probably the most important part here is uh, 15... Six, when Abraham and and it says and he that's Abraham believed in the Lord, and he and he that's the Lord counted it to him that's Abraham for righteousness. <clears throat> so you know this comes back to faith. <clears throat> By grace you have been saved through faith, and this is. This is what faith is. It's believing in the Lord and trusting in the Lord's promises. So that is the faith that is required of us, and it's really the door that opens grace. And 
<clears throat> you know, I, I'd also like to point out something as we get ready to go into Romans about the circumcision and the uncircumcision, because remember, we are ministry of reconciliation. We're an Ephesians 2 ministry, and right in Ephesians 2, when we started, we talked about the uncircumcision mm-hmm. and the circumcision and that, exactly. that Yeshua, Jesus, <clears throat> came to so that all who believe in him, there's a belief, right, that, that trust in the promises of the Lord that through his only begotten Son we have salvation by grace you've been saved through faith in Yeshua, that all believe in him, circumcised, uncircumcised, have access to the Father in one spirit, and that and how do we have access to the Father and the Spirit? Through the cross, through the price that Yeshua paid for our sins to hold so that we would not be separated from God by our sins. If it was if the covenant was solely circumcision, it says right there, and Ishmael in in chapter seventeen verse 25, and Ishmael his son was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. Mm-hmm. So Ishmael was circumcised. So to my Jewish brothers and sisters, if it was all by tribal rights and by circumcision, where is the distinction between Ishmael and Isaac? But it's not, it is, first of all, God has a plan, right? He has a plan. He makes a covenant with Abraham. The covenant is through your descendants, all nations will be blessed. Not just the Israelite nations, all nations. That plays forward, whereas New Covenant believers, we get to see how it plays forward through Isaac, Jacob, Jacob's sons, the tribes, tribe of Judah, Yeshua HaMashiach, and then the through Paul and the apostles, and how salvation, the message of salvation is built, is built through the word rather than, and through the cross, rather than man building the Tower of Babel trying to reach God, you know, that through the disciples go into all nations and all tongues, and they hear the good news of the gospel and the salvation available to them through faith, through belief. So, you know, it's not tribal. It's not a tribal, right? Yeah, there, there is a promise here, but what's required is faith. Someone without faith in God, it doesn't matter their status of their circumcision (laughs) in the flesh because he came to circumcise our heart Mm -hmm. through faith through the faith that gave gave us you know uh jerry one thing i like to bring out is that that i believe that that um when you just talked about sari and sarah that she took a name change a lot of people believe and i do that god made a made a covenant with her she had a name change and it was and it was through Abraham's covenant that 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 line through Sarah that would be blessed. Right. And uh, keep in mind that that Abraham had eight boys. You know, he, they had uh, Ishmael, he had Isaac, and he had six more from his other wife after after Sarah died from Keturah. Right. But he distinguishes that line to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob through Sarah. You know, and I think that's the thing that I just want to bring forward. You, you know, and going back to this whole idea of righteousness, that it was Abraham's faith, his trust in the promises of the Lord. That's what you said his faith was, Jerry, that was credited to him as righteousness. And, you know, and this character who makes this appearance, Melchizedek, whoa, there's Melchizedek, you know. And what's it mean? It means the king of righteousness, who was the king of Salem, which, you know, the, the commentary says is short for Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you know. But so God does pick a person and then their descendants 
in some line of salvation because it has to play out in the material world in some way. And he picks a place and he picked Melchizedek. I mean, he picked Melchizedek and he calls Yeshua high priest in the order of Melchizedek in Hebrews. And he picked a place, Jerusalem. And, it, and you know, the story is an incredible, incredibly coherent story because this character Melchizedek makes an appearance, a guest appearance there, but in the New Covenant, Hebrews becomes very, a very big figure because Yeshua is described as our high priest in the order of Melchizedek, you know, and so it's, uh, there's so much here in, in, in the covenant with Abraham, but why don't we uh, get to Romans 4 and really dig into what Paul says about the circumcision and the uncircumcision? Well, just to make a point here of how important that verse is, uh, Genesis 15:6, uh, Abram believed God, and it was counted to him or reckoned to him or put on his account however you uh, like to think about this it is an accounting term and Abram is given credit <laughs> uh, for believing in God and the credit that was given him was righteousness the right standing with God but <clears throat> you know but but believing in God is is so there's degrees of belief right but what he did is put all of his trust in God. Amen. Sort of until he and Sarah went off the rails well, with yeah, Hagar. I mean, and yeah, I think for, for our audience, we, we want to point out when we say he believed in God, we are always talking about that quality of belief that signifies genuine trust. And trust is always borne out by some sort of action. When you read through Hebrews and it says uh, he believed God and so he built an ark, he believed God and he did this, he believed God and he did that. It's always uh, the, the faith of trust is exhibited in faithfulness, acts of faith. So when we say he believed in God, we, we want you to understand that that is exactly what we're talking about, not just some head game, not just some mental ascent. Oh yeah, I believe there's a God. No, I heard from God. I heard what he had to say. I trust God that he's a good God. He's a covenant keeping God. And therefore I'm going to do what he says. I subjugate my will to God's will. And, and that's what he did. Yeah. You know, look at, you know, on the Hebrew piece of it, I look at believed, I look at trust and mm -hmm. I look at faith and they're all synonymous. Mm -hmm. They all work together. And I like that, just knowing that I can trust a, the creator of the universe that made me and everything around me, that he's, 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 you can rely on his promises that he gives you. So when we look at Romans chapter 4, and this is where I was headed, uh, this verse, Abram believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Paul quotes it in the beginning of his argument. What does the scripture say? Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Okay, so there's, there's the scripture that Paul is really using as his foundation for this argument. But he will make mention of it again uh, in verse 9. Is this blessing only for the uncircumcised or also the uncircumcised? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. So there's an allusion, not a direct quote, but an allusion to that verse. And then again in uh, verse 22, I believe, uh, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. <laughs> so you can see that Paul is depending on this verse and his explanation of it to make his case. And what is the case he's trying to make? Well, here we go. What shall we say was gained by Abraham our forefather according to the flesh? So now he's talking about Jewish people uh, who was who are the physical descendants of Abraham. What was gained by our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham, if Abraham was justified by his works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. So 
this is this is preceded in Romans by Paul's explanation why nobody can be justified or made right with God by the works of the law, because we will always come up short. We are in need of grace because of that long litany of Old Testament scripture that he has recited. There's no one good, no not one, no one who seeks after righteousness. So, so now let's look at Abraham. If it was something that he could do uh, if he was justified by works, then he, he would have something to boast about. Abraham is, is known throughout the Jewish religion as this righteous man full of faith who did great righteous works. But he is not put forward in the scripture. This is Paul's point. He is not put forward to us as an example of good works first. He's put forth to us as an example of faithful trust that results in being counted righteous. Okay, what does the scripture say? And this will be in some ways against our tradition. The scripture says Abraham believed God. It was counted to him as righteousness. So that's the foundation of his point here, that Abraham was justified not by works of the law, but by his faith. Now, the next part of that argument uh, let me. F <clears throat> okay, so so Abraham is, is useful to Paul here because he precedes the giving of the law. Uh, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. To the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. To the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Okay, so if we are attempting to gain righteousness with God through our works, Paul says, then we are going to be paid a wage. It's given to us as our due. Uh, it's not a gift, but the gift of God is, is, is this grace that he's talking about. This is what David was talking about. And again, Paul's using scripture to make his case that this forgiveness, this righteousness, this right standing with God is all a matter of grace and not of works, not of law keeping, but of gift giving from God. What does David say in Psalm, it's from Psalm 32. David speaks of the same kind of blessing to the one whom God counts righteousness apart from keeping the law. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. So if I'm committing lawless deeds, then I cannot be justified before God on the basis of my works. But there is a blessing to those whose deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered, the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Yeah. Yeah, this is uh, on, on 7. It says, uh, you know, the, whose transgressions are forgiven. The other words I like to, uh, to look at on, and greet is pardoned. Mm -hmm. have been pardoned it's been canceled it's, it's all over so i like that uh you know if you're keeping a mm -hmm. roster or keeping a chart of anything it's it's erased right and going back to our yom kippur discussions uh and the blood on the altar uh that's the same word that david is using uh in hebrew uh whose sins are covered uh they have the kaforet the covering over them. And that is the gift of God's grace, the blood gift on the altar that makes atonement for the sins. Okay, not, not your works, because your works have led to the point where we need to have a blood offering <laughs> to cover your sins. No, it is the grace of the blood offering that covers the sin. This is Paul's case here. Now he, he switches, and here's why Abraham is such a great example for Paul to use here, because Abraham precedes the law, but Abraham, when, when was he circumcised? This is Paul's ne next argument. Is the blessing only for the circumcised or the uncircumcised as well? We say faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. When was it counted to them? When he, or how was it? Be was it before or after he'd been circumcised? Not after, but before he was circumcised. So the exercise of faith to the accounting of righteousness is something that was available to an uncircumcised man. And not just any man, but Avram, our yeah. forefather, right? You, you know, Jerry, I, had to, I, I, I think about the audience he might be talking to. If there's Pharisees there, how can they refute him? 
Mm-hmm. You know, he, he's, he's clean, he's clear, he, he presents it in a way that it can't be refuted. And I think that's one of Paul's talents, I think. You know, his, his knowledge of, of God's Word and his zeal and his, and his way he can pr- present his case. Well, clearly uh, it is uh, one of God's gracious provisions mm-hmm. that he chose a man to represent, and represent him who was so deeply entrenched in and knowledgeable about the scriptures. Yes. Right. And so Paul is able to take those scriptures with the new sight that's been given to him by God through faith in Yeshua to see suddenly all those things that Yeshua made clear to those disciples on the road. Right. Right. He opened up the scriptures to them and he showed them Messiah in the law and the prophets and the writings. And now Paul has been given that same insight into Yeshua on every page. There you go. And so he is coming at this argument from the same place. Yeah. So, you know, he he's making this argument basically that says that Abraham's <coughs> righteousness was his faith. Mm-hmm. It wasn't works. It wasn't circumcision in the flesh. And and so he comes down there to uh 13, he says, For the promise that he would inherit the world did not come to Abraham or his descendants through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Mm-hmm. There it is again. The And remember what the righteousness of faith is. It's trusting in the promises of God. It says, If, the, if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. Because you could earn it through works by following the law. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, neither is there violation. For this reason it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace, right there, Mm -hmm. and be guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham, for he is the father of all of us, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that knew, do not exist, hoping against hope, he believed that he would become the father of many nations, according to what was said, so numerous shall your descendants be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was already as good as dead, a hundred years old, or the barrenness of Sarah's wounds. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in faith as he gave glory to God, being fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Therefore, his faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. That right there is the summary, the summation of his argument. He trusted in God to keep his promises. That's what we're called to do. And, and what did God promise? He promised that he would, he would send salvation for us. And pay the price for us. Mm-hmm. And that's what he's done through Yeshua. Amen. So that we could be... That the separation we have from him would be repaired. Yes, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> where you picked up, uh, Paul had just finished making the point about circumcision and uncircumcision. <clears throat> that he received the sign of circumcision as the seal of righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So the, the, the declaration by God that you are righteous, I declare you righteous, I count you as righteous, is sealed by this covenant sign of circumcision, circumcision okay. right? Right. So, but <clears throat> what he says further, though, is... Uh, the purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had 
before he was circumcised. So that Abraham is the father of faith to any person who has the faith of Abraham, whether they are circumcised or not. Because Abraham could have that faith that God counted as righteousness in his uncircumcised state, then anybody can have that faith, circumcised or not. And Paul does make a distinction between those who are circumcised, but who do not walk in the faith of Father Abraham, right? So that we can have an outward sign that does not reflect an inward truth. And and it go and he goes, you know, in in the Ephesians two passage that we read when we start, where he says that it's that the circumcised and the uncircumcised all, it's through the cross that we have access in one spirit to the Father, mm-hmm. because the cross is our path to forgiveness. So it goes right back to four. Romans 4, 7, and 8, which you said is from Psalm 32, because it says, so also David speaks of the blessedness. Abraham was blessed, right? Of the blessedness, the grace that God gives him of those to whom God reckons righteousness apart from works. And it quotes, blessed are those whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one against whom the Lord will not reckon sin. Mm-hmm. And how do we receive that? He says in, in Romans 4, uh, 24, it says, and 23 says, Now the words it was reckoned to him were written not for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be reckoned to us who believe in him, who raise Jesus, our Lord from the dead, who was handed over to death for our trespasses and was raised for our justification. So this is what's counted to us now as righteousness. Mm -hmm. The trust, the belief and the trust in that promise that through the cross and through the payment that Yeshua made for my sins personally, for your sins, we all have it reckoned to us as righteousness through that faith. Faith in that. Amen. It starts with faith. It starts yes. with trust. Right. Yes. This is the, the, the idea of reckoning and counting and putting it on one's account. Uh, Peter says uh, in, in a real nice short phrase, He suffered the righteous for the unrighteous, right? That there's that transference in the mind of God in the activity of Yeshua on the cross that transfers when we put our faith in what God did in that sacrifice of his son, there's that transference, that putting on account, uh, the payment that was made by him is applied to our account. He took our unrighteousness on him. He paid the debt and Paid is put on our side of the ledger, right? right? That's that's what he's talking about, and that's 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 the 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 method or the means. Real trust in what God has said. What has God said? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever trusts in Him, whoever believes in Him, will not perish but have everlasting life. When you have that faith in God and in the offering of Yeshua, then that is counted as your righteousness, your right standing. Yeshua takes your sin. He pays the price that that sin had on it. And his righteousness, his right standing with the Father, his paid stamp is put on it. What I like in Ephesians, prior to our Ephesians 2, we talk about the seal of the covenant is circumcision. The seal of the new covenant, according to Ephesians, is the Holy Spirit. Amen. And so that when we step out in faith in Yeshua, God's seal on us is not circumcision, but the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Christ now is in us. We are made eternally alive in him, not only for life, but abundant life, 
right? Uh, he is the spirit of adoption, whereby we all cry out, Abba, Father. That is God's seal on us. How do we know that we're really saved? How do we know that we really belong to God? What is the spirit in us telling us that we love? Do we love God? Do we love his word? We're not perfect, but are we pursuing righteousness? Because we see that that pleases God. We, we say we have faith. Are we like Abraham, where our trust leads us to do righteous deeds? Faith always precedes the expected lifestyle that comes with faith. It's not the other way around. And how do we manage that? How do we succeed in it? Because the seal of the covenant is the Holy Spirit who gives us power to live the life that God wants us to live. You know, we talked about this once before, Jerry, that the word tob or tov is perfect and complete when it's attached to God. And then the God the Father is perfect and complete, but he offered his son that was a perfect and complete sacrifice so that the perfect and complete Holy Spirit could indwell within us. Mm -hmm. To me, I think that is just a, uh, you know, the triad there is just incredible how God laid it out. Amen. And yet, and you know, um, so the way that Paul lays this argument out about how uh, the righteousness that's credited to us as new covenant believers is our trust in the promise of that Yeshua, by being, by paying the price on the cross for our sins and be, being resurrected through the resurrection, the regeneration, that we can be regenerated as a new man, one new man, uh, through the Holy Spirit. And together, all of us together, as one new man, being as the body of Christ, with Christ Jesus himself, the cornerstone, being built into a dwelling place for the Lord. So he, he takes this sort of, it's not rudimentary, it's fundamental premise mm -hmm. of what is righteousness, and that is belief and trust in the Lord that leads to obedience. And he then, through Abraham, he then shows through David that it's also about blessed are those whose sins, whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. He then shows that the way that our sins are, our iniquities are forgiven and our sins are covered are through the cross, and the and and that's how we're justified. And you know, and then you know, if you look at the way Hebrews portrays it. It says, you know, that so Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek because Melchizedek was a king and a high priest. And we talked earlier about how Yeshua was high priest, was king, was prophet, was judge. He was all of them. So this is why Yeshua is in the order of Melchizedek. And also in the Hebrews it says Melchizedek was taken up. He never died. He was without. Uh, well, in the record, he has no beginning and no end. No beginning and no end. That's what He just appears right. out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, and so it's saying our he, Yeshua is our great high priest in the order of Melchizedek and you know the way that Abraham by paying tithes was acknowledging Melchizedek was sort of his greater. high priest greater greater right we pay the, the, the lesser pays tithes to the greater right yes and then shortly after that the covenant was made mm-hmm mm -hmm. so we've talked about Abraham and the, there is this introduction in uh, Genesis 14 uh, of Melchizedek, uh, the priest, uh, the, the, the king of righteousness, the king of Salem, uh, which was Jerusalem, as you said. Psalm 110, and this is, this is the, the phrase or the reference that the Hebrew writers will use, uh, begins, the Lord says to my Lord, or Hashem, the name of God, says to my Adonai, my master, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. 
that's the argument that uh, Peter makes about uh, how could David say uh, someone else was his master when he was already the king. Uh, the Lord Hashem sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. Then he says in verse 4 of Psalm 110, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Who? Well, in the context of the psalm, David is talking about his own descendant, somehow, who is going to be higher than David and is also going to be this high priest. How does that all come together? It comes together in Yeshua, according to our New Covenant understanding. It comes together, as uh, the writer to Hebrews points out, that Yeshua is <coughs> a priest, a priest who makes sacrifices, and he is in the line of Melchizedek because like Melchizedek, he is eternal, no beginning and no end. Now, was Melchizedek a real human being? Probably. Did he have a birth and a death? Probably. But according to the record, he has no beginning that's recorded for us. He has no ending. And so he's a suitable uh, symbol in that manner. But what does the high priest do? He goes in, he offers his own blood to make atonement for our sins. There is always the necessity of blood atonement. God has not gone back on his word. And so the blood on the altar that I've given you to make atonement for your sin that God points out in Leviticus chapter 17, I think, uh, carries through the entire Old Covenant to the spilling of Yeshua's blood. What I like uh, to maybe pull together here is the idea Abraham was the father of many nations and Paul invites all the nations to come as Abraham did uh, either circumcised or uncircumcised but Yeshua when he was here talking to the Samaritan woman let's not forget what he told her salvation is of the Jews and Yeshua came as a Jewish man in a Jewish village to a Jewish mom, Holy Spirit Father. <laughs> he lived a Jewish life. He kept the Jewish law. He showed us the way to the Father through faith. And we want to say that in this Jewish salvation, God fulfilled the promise to Abraham, in you all nations will be blessed. Hey, Jerry, I think, I think Paul wrapped it up real well in, in, in uh, verse 24, chapter 4 of Romans. He says, But also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness to us, for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised Amen. to life for our justification. Amen. Man, that just, I mean, <clears throat> what Paul says in all chapter 4, he wraps it up in that last verse and says, here it is, guys. This is what he did. Yes. And so we want to say, as we come to our conclusion here, that God was in Christ, in Messiah, reconciling the world to himself. That as you are reconciled to God the Father, you are automatically incorporated into this one new man, which is made up of brothers and sisters from all kinds of backgrounds and tribes and locales. Groups of people that maybe you were uh, not fond of before, but now you are brothers and sisters with these people because of what Yeshua did. He offered himself up for your trespasses, for your going against God's law. And God raised him up, the Father raised him up, to show that indeed your trespasses have been forgiven. He was raised for your justification, that is, for the declaration by God that you are now right with him. You cannot be a follower of Yeshua if you don't believe that he was raised from the dead. Paul writes later in Romans, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Here's why. He was delivered for your sins but he was raised so that you could be right with God. Amen. Hallelujah. Jesus is alive. We want to invite you, if this is where you are at now, uh, if you would like to receive God's great gift, would you simply pray, Father, 
thank you for Jesus, for Yeshua, for putting my sins on him. And now I ask you to forgive me in him. And I put my faith in him. I put my trust in you. And I receive the Holy Spirit as your seal. And by the power of the Spirit, I will walk even as you desire. That you'll be glorified in my life, even as you intended with Father Abraham to bless the nations. Pray this in Jesus' name, the great name of Yeshua. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us. We hope you'll be back with us next week. Visit us at One New Man Ministries International on Facebook. In the meantime, God be with you.